There are 574 tribal nations represented across the United States. They each have their own cultural richness, way of living, and customs. They also have health disparities and trouble with the acquisition of resources. Tribal Health, the podcast, wants to shed light on them and bring solutions available to improve access for tribal and indigenous communities. And now your hosts, Melody Lewis, Mario Trujillo, and Morgan Haynes. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Tribal Health, the podcast. You got Mario here, and I'm excited about our guest today, Sabine Talogan, who is just an expert in public policy, and I know just a little bit of that. So I'm excited to dive deep into hearing her expertise and then also uh, selfishly just expanding my education on public policy as well. So Sabine, hello. How are you? I am doing well. How are you doing? Oh my gosh, so good. I'm excited to hear from you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Hello, Hoku Sabine Talogan. My name is Sabine Talogan, and I am Chumash, Somala Chumash, and I live in Sacramento. And I am the program officer of California Tribal Fund, which was created to support California-based, California-native-led nonprofits and tribal programs in controlling and protecting their food systems, water, languages, traditional ecological knowledge, and land. And I'm very grateful to be in this position. And it's relatively new. I just started in March. Oh, awesome. Congratulations. Thanks. And you're starting at, this is all necessary work, of course, but I feel like it's been enhanced and the media is enhancing the need for this kind of work around our nation. So you're coming in at a crucial time then. Yeah. So the California Tribal Fund just started, I believe, in 2020. And it's really coming from this idea, this truth that California is a special and specific place. And we share an identity as California Native people. And we share a history and an experience. And we're also in California where, frankly, a lot of philanthropic dollars come from. And we are currently part of First Nations Development Institute, which is based in Colorado, about 40-year-old organization that has been doing grant making for decades. And I'm very grateful to be part of the First Nations team. They provide a lot of resources and research that is available on their website, firstnations.org. Awesome. And can you explain the overall First Nations, just description of the organization? When I first saw First Nations, and I'm sure a lot of people as well that are listening, connected that with Canada First Nations. Yes. The mission of First Nations Development Institute is to strengthen American Indian economies um, and support healthy Native communities. We really focus on some key areas that include strengthening tribal community uh, institutions, investing in Native youth, advancing community asset building strategies, nourishing Native foods and health, which is something that the California Tribal Fund does a lot of as well, and of course, stewarding Native lands. And it's somewhat well-known Native nonprofit that works nationwide 
and has been around since the since 1980 and has been making grants since 1993. So a, lo- a lot of grant writers will know about First Nations Development Institute. Okay, awesome. That's good to know. And I'm reading your bio as you're talking as well, and your experience is just incredible. Can you dive into how you connected with tribal affairs in California state parks? When I hear Parks and Rec, I think of Parks and Rec, the TV show, and Leslie Nope, <laughs> and creating a space and respecting the land, cultivating it, and protecting it. How does that relate to your work now? Yeah, so I went on a journey. So I uh, went to school for public policy. I ended up with a health focus, and then I immediately got my master's in public policy after my bachelor's. And while I was there at Mills College, I had the opportunity to be mentored by some fantastic Native women, including Esther Lucero, who is currently the CEO for Seattle Indian Health Board. And I was really given the opportunity to learn about how to work with Native communities doing something good. And I would, had always been interested in historical intergenerational trauma and what can we do about that. Just growing up with my family, I was like, something's going on here and it's mm-hmm. deeper than these interpersonal dynamics. My first job out of grad school was working at the California Consortium for Urban Indian Health. And so they serve the 10 urban Indian health organizations throughout California. And of course, California is thought of as quite an urban space. But even with that, and even with a resource, the California Consortium for Urban Indian Health Organizations are quite neglected and are not really thought of always when policymakers are thinking about Indian health. And at the same time, we have a very large percentage of Native people living in urban spaces and needing health resources. So I'm really grateful for my time there. One of my favorite projects when I was working there was trying to figure out just sustainable funding mechanisms to do traditional health in these urban Indian health organizations. And that was really an opportunity for me to think about health holistically and really centering culture. After working there, I was consulting doing a lot of policy work, um, supporting folks that were working with legislators in D.C. during the Trump administration, so keeping crazy hours um, here on the West Coast, but doing something that felt really exciting and, and really important. And then, of course, any Native nonprofit person who's doing consulting work knows that they do a lot of uh, grant writing, program evaluation, and that kind of thing. While I was doing that, I had time to work with my grandpa on a project um, that he was involved in that was really looking at an arborglyph. So that's a, a tree carving and figuring out what that meant in terms of Chumash knowledge and really learning that knowledge is quite sophisticated, very place-based, and highlights our relationship and responsibility to the land. And so I'm really grateful that I got to work on that, but that was my way to transition to thinking a lot more about land, the health of the land, and of course, with my background in public health, 
always thinking about how the health of the land, our relationship to our culture and knowledge has a big impact on our mental and physical well-being. The removal of our bodies from the lands, the extraction of our land, continuing to make an impact on our well-being. I eventually found myself um, in the position of the Tribal Affairs Program Manager at California State Parks. There, I did support some integration of traditional ecological knowledge via the um, Tribal Memorandum of Understanding Program, where we developed agreements between tribes and the state parks districts within their ancestral territories um, to help folks um, get out on the land, gather, do everything that they need to do to be in right relationship with the land as much as is possible while a government department is still controlling that land. I will say I don't think we did as much as I would have liked to have seen in that way. And I'm, I was definitely challenged in moments of, of, I'm okay, I'm working for the government that paid people to massacre my people. And this feels really difficult. And especially when you're, uh, the state park system has a lot of museums that are doing a lot of interpretation, figuring out how to move the needle and get tribal input in a respectful way and not ruffle too many feathers so that the work can actually get done was really challenging. And then also in that position, I was managing a NAGPRA program, so Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. And that was also very difficult and also made me reflect a lot about our health. Being a Native person, being the face of a state agency in tribal consultation, being the vessel to receive the hurt that tribes um, and lineal descendants experience because of the stealing of their ancestors, of their cultural resources. Knowing that my ancestors and my people's cultural resources are also impacted by that. And by impacted, I, I literally mean folks in boxes, not where they're supposed to be wanting to go home. And so that obviously had a huge impact on my mental health and, and has a big impact on Native people all over California because we are quite literally scattered. And Jen, uh, bringing people home, rematriation, bring it, bringing the lands back will have a huge impact on, on our health, on our ability to be balanced and, and navigate the world in a good way. But I, I essentially wanted to focus on the good things. I, I wanted to have the opportunity to approach tribes, work with tribes in California and have something positive to tell them. And I was recruited by the California Tribal Fund, part of First Nations Development Institute, by Rebecca Tortis, who is a boss now. And I am really grateful. We do a lot of really good work, but I'm just really grateful to be reaching out to tribes to be like, hey, we have some resources. This is what we do. How, how can we work with you to make all of the good things that need to happen actually happen? Wow. Okay. Not only do you address and make the problems visible, you bring active solution and active change to that. So thank you for that. And that 
must take a lot of research, but you have a ton of experience in various levels. Something that you said was holistic health, right? Holistic care. And that has been a a theme in a lot of our recordings and episodes. And I think in the Western understanding, holistic can be defined as homeopathic, right? Some people just think, oh, holistic care is essential oils and probiotics. and But holistic truly is, like you said, is from the land to the ends of the earth, everything affects everything. And like you you mentioned, everything in, in one paragraph, generational trauma, the land, the health of the land, the food that grows, the sounds around us, the people around us, and that is that's holistic. And what you're doing right now and what you have done in your experience is truly bring holistic care um, to the forefront of your focus and your work. I was talking to my partner probably about last month and we were saying how much the sound of running water helps us. And that's just something so simple that we may not think about, but it's a land that's alive and breathing. And you touched base on that a little bit. And I think of like my grandparents' house and it's a small town in New Mexico and it's right by a river. And I felt like every time I would go up there, I'd feel more alive if the river was running and I'd feel sad if it was dry. And not so much we would go there every single time we would be up there, but it's listening to the land. And I just wanted to affirm you in saying holistic care because that's been a major theme in a lot of our recordings and the understanding is a little skewed in the Western world of identifying that as homeopathic care, which in reality, it's all care together, which then enhances our well-being, which you are exactly doing. Even people may define public policy as not that, right? They may look at it as lobbying and activists only. But I think I'm understanding correctly, you're just looking at all health truly and enhancing those communities and serving them in a great way, in an active way, like you're doing something, which is really cool. (laughs) Thank you. Those compliments are so generous. Yeah, I I set out classic first-generation college student. I was there, originally wanted to be a physician, did a whole year of that, went back home, interned at my tribe's education department, standing as Shumash Indians, and I, I... was being mentored by Nikki Sandoval, who was our education director at the time, and really just was so inspired by this opportunity to basically move upstream. I wanted to make a difference, but how and and what felt good, what felt sustainable. And moving upstream into policy work is what felt right to me. And this move to First Nations Development Institute and California Tribal Fund also felt really consistent with that because I've always felt like I was responsible for translating, for being an intermediary because school kind of came easy to me. I was like, oh, I can do this. I can read books and I could write and I can communicate in a way that's working for these Western systems. Let me put that to use for my people and for my community. And now that I am in the funding space, which is awesome, and I'm really grateful to be 
and also a little bizarre to be like, okay, so now I have the resources. I'm not like seeking the resources, but we still are seeking the resources because we are an intermediary funder. So we basically work with bigger private philanthropic organizations to help fund tribes. They want to fund for tribes, but they don't know how. And most of our funding is relationship-based. I think maybe 80% of our funding. And so we spend a lot of time being a community, going to community events, learning what's going on, but, you know, also reading things and and just staying on top of everything that's going on in the state. Uh, And we really do a lot of our funding through conversations and setting up meetings with the folks that are doing the work on the ground to learn what are you doing? What do you need? What do we have to help you? And that's something that First Nations uh, Development Institute generally does. The broader organization does a lot of federal grants. I'm glad to be where we're at uh, with just working with private philanthropy because we're able to really minimize the burden for our grantees, minimize reporting, that initial application, and so on. That's really been my goal, you know, in my overall career. And currently now with the Tribal Fund, it's something that we can actually do. It's okay if this, something that we're seeing a lot is that the state of California has pivoted pretty dramatically in trying to understand. There's basically individual folks who really understand tribal issues and, and they've successfully pivoted the state to recognize that they need to fund tribal-based nature solutions and a whole you know list of these really important topics. But what tribes are experiencing often, especially non-federally recognized tribes, um, because of the history of California, we have a lot of non-federally recognized tribes here. Um, They may be eligible for these grants so they can get funding for specific programs, but they're not able to access funding for actual capacity building to deal with their finances and their HR and um, building leadership capacity to handle these new hires making sure that they can even report on those huge grants that they're getting for these specific programs. Everything that they're getting from the state is more work, but they need to build their capacity to handle that work. And that's one of, as boring (laughs) as that may be in the scope of things, we're still supporting them doing the work uh, for the water, land, culture, language, food, TEK, all of that. I'm I I really resonate with being in kind of the boring but important spaces that other folks are just like, ah, that's not that exciting. Okay, but it's really important. And I'm actually okay with you not feeling like it's that exciting because I'm happy to talk with these funders and make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And you obviously have passion and excitement for what you do. So you bring that alive to them to really show them the importance of that. And I'm sure many ways that you approach your work and bring your own taste to it stem from your community that you grew up in. Can you tell me about your community? My family really bounces around California, the Bay Area, and around the area of our homelands. And our reservation is in Sani, now 45 minutes north and like in a valley of Santa Barbara. And I grew up in the town of Santa Maria, and it was really nice to be able to 
travel very quickly. So we're just like 30 minutes from Santa Inez and go to cultural events and really witness over my lifetime a dramatic resurgence and revitalization of our culture, of our languages, and really seeing youth be inspired to fully immerse themselves in that. I think I was the first like education department intern. I was there for like our first culture camp and that was really awesome. And now all of my little cousins, nieces and nephews are, oh yeah, Camp Kalashak. I did that. I weaved a basket. No big deal. And it's just really beautiful to me. I also grew up, Santa Maria is the bigger town of that area. I also grew up with intertribal community in the Indian education program. And so I've always had those strong intertribal uh, ties. I'm grateful to have navigated both spaces. There's always a little drama that gets, it kicks up every once in a while. And oh, okay. So I, I have multiple communities that I can participate in and multiple ways of getting reacquainted with culture and multiple groups of people that are looking out for me and making sure that I make it through. And honestly, it worked. It worked for me. <laughs> yeah. You bring a lot to the table and with your, you have a broad background and cultural understanding. Um, and with that, at, here at Tribal Health, we have um, a variety of travel doctors, nurses, mid-levels, uh, medical assistants that are assigned to different facilities around the nation to serve different tribes. What advice would you give to someone that is not part of an Indigenous background or community that desires to serve in these rural settings or even urban Indian settings as well, coming to a facility that is it functions drastically different than a Banner Hospital or a Loveless Hospital. What advice would you give to them? Yeah, so I've over the years, I've had quite a, a few connections reach out to me and ask me, should I take this job? Is it appropriate for me as a non-Native person to take this job? I'm worried that I'm going to take it from a Native person. And I'm like, okay, first of all, it's great that you're asking that question. That's a really good sign. That doesn't absolve the answer. It doesn't mean that the answer is immediately yes, but it, it's a good sign. The, and then I usually remind them, in most cases, these organizations are operating with Native preference. And so if you are the best person for the job and you get the job, that's a decision that hopefully Native leadership decided on. But over time, and so I've had folks, had friends that get those jobs, they're non-Native, they're navigating that space. Obviously, number one is to be humble and be respectful. Respect is not something that's specific to one culture, but how you be respectful can be. There's, I, I, there was a, uh, I had a conversation with a friend and they're like, oh, I have all these questions about when we circle up, when a prayer is happening or when something cultural is happening. I have all these questions and it feels inappropriate for me to ask. And it's okay. It might be inappropriate for you to ask. Right. <laughs> and that's okay. But part of their question was just like wanting more information about the cultural practice. And it's okay. Were you offered that information? No. Does it seem like other people in that space are being offered that information? You, it seemed that they wanted to know why. Like, why do we do it this way? 
And I told them that there there might be cultural protocols that were for like, but that's why you're not being given that information. But if you're picking up on more than that and you're curious, you should know that we are all in the process of cultural revitalization. We all survived genocide. There is, we don't even always have the information of the why. We, we don't have the definition of every word that's in our songs. We don't have everything that we need access to, and we're all working on it and we're going to get there. But there's also a little bit of shame in, in, in not knowing the answers to every question. And it's not going to feel good if a non-Native person is like trying to push the envelope. So all you can do is be as present as possible and have conversations with people that it's appropriate to have conversations with and pay attention to timing. But Native people can tell when a non-Native person has been in community with us for a long time. And it takes a lot of training. And sometimes I've asked those non-Native people, like, how'd you get like that? (laughs) Who was mean to you? (laughs) We taught you in a way that you can operate with a protocol now. And they usually have some anecdote, but overall, it's just time spent. You you have to make that commitment if you want to do the work in a good way. Absolutely. And I think they're, uh, like you said, sometimes asking questions can be inappropriate in it, and it's conflicting too. In diversity, equity, inclusion, and cultural trainings, we always say, don't be afraid to ask questions. Always ask questions. But sometimes don't ask a question. And it's contradicting, but that is the definition of being cultural. And like you said, just integrating yourself or going up to the correct person and asking those questions and being mindful of your words while asking questions. And that starts the conversation. Absolutely. And thank you for that advice. We get a lot of questions and our recruitment team gets a lot of questions about these facilities. And each community is so radically different. Each community has different cultures and ways of approaching people and understanding and communication but it's the answer is being culturally humble. And yes, that's broad, but you explained it very well. So thank you for that. And thank you everyone for joining. We're going to wrap up here. And Sabine, I hope that we can do a follow-up episode with you to catch up and see what you're working on. I know you're pretty fresh to this new role. So maybe in the fall, we can uh, reconnect and see what you're working on. And hopefully we can work together in the future and spread into California over there. But it's always good to make connections, especially in the community. So thank you so much for joining us. Sam, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you everyone for joining Tribal Health, the podcast. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Tribal Health, the podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's guest. For the show notes, resources, and more, please visit podcast.tribalhealth.com. If you want to learn more about how tribal health can be a solution to health disparities, please visit us at www.tribalhealth.com.